Underground Collective Exclusive Podcast. Right, so this is our first um, new magazine format podcast. Um, and I am Sean, I'm going to host it. My co-host is very happy um, because his team is, for Torian, who's on the call, his team is 4-0. His, uh, yeah. his, his Aston Lions are 4-0. Yeah, man. And start the season. Uh, so he, he is very happy with that. When we record the next one next month, it will probably four and four. Let's be honest, but yeah, yeah. But let's <laughs> give him a give him... bit while it lasts. Exactly, yeah. And also on the call, uh, we have Torian Walton, who is the TWX. Say hello, man. How's it going, guys? Good man, good. And he is in Toronto, in Canada. We're in the UK. It's five o'clock. Uh, he's already on the wine, and we've also known that we also know that Torian has the finest collection of glassware in the whole of the Underground Collective. <laughs> it's all my wife. It's all my wife. I swear. He's even got a really lovely glass now. He's just taking a little sip of some a lovely red out of. But yeah, so with the Collective, we have uh, an in, an in-house but soon to be uh, more more global Friday Drinks Club. Obviously, it starts on a Friday afternoon in the UK, which is normally mid-morning for Torian, but Torian normally gets involved with something in orange juice in a, in a lovely decanter normally as well. <laughs> so it's uh, it's great to have him on. Um, so this I, is think, a, I think Torian also has the title for the most energetic videos that we do. That is true. That is true. <laughs> hey, don't trust a DJ that doesn't dance. That's why oh, they're wild. Oh. I love them. You can watch it with the volume down. It's that insane and just watching you have an absolute blast. I love it. Yeah, yeah, they are great. Um, so what we're going to do, we're going to talk through some little news segment bits. We're going to talk about Underground Collective Update. Um, we're going to talk about what is coming out on the record label. We've got My Hot Topic, which is uh, should get, well, it should definitely get Simon on his soapbox because I know he loves to get on a soapbox. But we'll leave that for later. Uh, we've got Torian's uh, in the box, which he's uh, kindly submitted to us. So we're going to listen to that. Uh, and then Tom is going to speak to um, another one of our DJs, Aurora uh, Sounds, um, later on. And that's about it. Let's see how it, see how it goes. It's our, it's our new format. Um, so, yeah. Here we go. So, yeah, I'm ready. Let's do this. Yeah, man. Right. So um, the first segment. Uh, is in the news so we're going to talk about a couple of or three uh little subjects we've kind of picked between the three of us um that are in the news and relate to the electronic music scene uh the first one that caught my eye was um 11 bars in berlin that managed to overturn uh an early closing directive for one of their courts so the um, berlin bars were, were shooting at 11 p.m similar to what they have in the uk i don't know what it's like in toronto um Torian, but the uk were at the minute, we're on a 10 p.m. curfew, yeah. so anywhere selling alcohol has to has to shut at 10 p.m. Is yeah, that for for us, except for we're midnight. We're we're at midnight. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um. So in in Berlin, in Germany, I don't know if it's just Berlin or Germany as a whole, but they had an 11 p.m. curfew, and 11 bars challenged that in the court and managed to overturn that, which is just as a as a regular Berlin Berlin goer as we are, it's just so Berlin, isn't it? Like. I'm going to take you to court because you can't stop us having a good time. So <laughs> let's get let's get a let's get a little uh, you know a team together and let's take the government to court and tell them to do one. <laughs> so, did you see some of the um, Did you see the video of the the 
people riding around on uh, bicycles with their yeah, uh, sound cool. system set up and stuff. Yeah, that was amazing. Yeah. It's great to see. You know, no matter what, they're going to find a way. Yeah, they're going to find the a way. To will go on. Yeah, that is it's so Germany, isn't it? They will find a way. They will. They will find a way. They'll find a loophole, uh, and that's what caught my eye because I think, although when I was reading further into it, it's only eleven bars that have challenged the government. So only those eleven can open, which is a great bit of business for them. Really? So it has, surely it's overturned the law. Well, it probably will do, but at the minute the ruling is the is the eleven claimants that, that put it put it to the uh, put it to the well took them to court. But they they can't they can't sell alcohol after eleven. But oh, okay. we know that's we know that's not a problem in Berlin, don't we? Yeah, so that's not an issue at all. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what caught that's what caught my uh, my eyes. Um, Tori, and you were talking about our save, save our stages campaign that's happening in your side. What's that all about? Yeah, so um, save our stages is happening throughout the U.S. Um, pretty much, it's um, it's organized by a group called NEVA which is the National Independent Venue Association. And it's a group of about 2,000 venues who have gotten together um, to try and, you know, first off, to get everybody to contact Congress in, in Washington and the U.S. and to sign petitions to get a legislation going um, to help save the venues. Because um, as we all know, we're looking at almost all the clubs across the globe and venues have a possibility of shutting down after, you know, covid yeah, uh, there's no, they, you know, they don't have any, um, there's zero income coming in. They still got to pay rents and mortgages. Um, and then it even spills over to uh, the artists and contract workers. So um, they're looking to get um, tax credits towards their, their rents and their mortgages, um, as well as um, unemployment benefits for their contract workers and the artists. Um, it's, it's kind of a sad thing to see because we, you know, it kind of hit us blindsidedly. It's like, you know, seven, eight months ago, we were all on dance floors dancing, thinking about what we're going to do next weekend and planning shows that we're going to in a few months later and festivals. And then, boom, it just hits. And, you know, for a lot of um, organizations within our community, it's not like, you know, they're bankrolling. They're kind of just making ends meet and every show was allowing them to keep their doors open and get to the next one. Um, so it's kind of a scary time to think about how this is going to affect our community. Yeah, I think I think it's going to be a very different landscape post-COVID, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, you know, I was talking to some friends about this. I think it'll be a total different landscape. But what I also think will happen is it's kind of be like as if we're going to go back into time so I think this is going to revamp the rave culture uh, yeah. because, you know, people people are doing it now, throwing illegal raves and whatnot. But once these places close down and people can't really, you know, try and get venues or anything like that, we're going to go back to the warehouses and fields and whatnot. So as much as it, you know, it's too bad what's happening. I'm also kind of excited for that because I missed I missed the, the rave era. I didn't get to partake in that. So no. yeah, Simon did. He's a bit older than us. Chicken get. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think you're right. I think my my concern, especially in speaking from as a Mancunian, I think it's been I think there's a lot of land that would be suitable for venues that is getting gentrified rapidly. I mean yeah. the amount of the amount of you know I think I read the other day about Manchester there was 
something like 32 already approved 20 story plus apartment buildings that are, are to be built yeah. and and that's my concern is that they're going to use it as a land grab to to kind of kill those kind of spaces that but then you know it's it's not going to go away it'll survive it'll just migrate somewhere else but I think there is because a bit of- it, it frustrates me because it, I mean it happens it happens flipping everywhere doesn't it the gentrification side of stuff the um it's happened in in Birmingham and you know it's happening now around the Digbeth area it's happening in Manchester around the northern quarter it's happening you know even even in Kreuzberg in Berlin they're having issues around gentrification of Berlin um and the problem is is that it's the underground scene that creates these cool areas not just not just the the clubs but the the independent um cafe cultures, bars wow. cafes shops mm-hmm. it's the, the the places that have got a bit of an edge to them that what that's what creates them as as cool underground areas and then they become cool and then you get a load of people who aren't particularly cool going i want to live in that cool place because it's cool then they buy a place there and then they complain about the bars and the clubs and the and the the restaurants that are open there because they're noisy well that's the reason you live there yeah that's the reason those places are cool and the problem is i don't know what it's like over in in canada but in in the uk at the minute the clubs are just getting destroyed i mean there's a lot of there's a lot of suspicion and it's just suspicion there's no confirmation and and this is all conjecture and and uh, you know uh, uh, allegedly and all that nonsense but the whole uh, well not the whole situation around the rainbow but the uh, uh, part of what happened with the rainbow venues was that there was developers who wanted to build who wanted to develop uh, buildings nearby build flats and apartments and stuff around where rainbow had venues and then the rainbow suddenly lost its license for all its venues because of one drug death in, in one of its its outlets it a situation with fabric as well um when fabric was tried to be closed down Again, there was suspicion there of what is the motive behind this? Is it really, you know, that the, there is an issue with drugs, which really, when you dig deeper, the drug issue wasn't particularly big. And really, all you're going to do if you shut down one club is you'll, you know, Maybe it's, else, yeah. club. it's not the way to deal with the drug issue to <clears throat> shut down clubs. And you certainly wouldn't shut down a hotel if some rich banker died of, you know, doing cocaine off a hooker's tits in, in their bedroom in there. They wouldn't get shut down. You know, it'd just be like, well, he was an idiot. So, yeah, going off, yeah, on a bit of a bit of a. Well, well the thing is, the thing is, it the, the gentrification of, thing is bollocks, man. Hate it. Yeah, if what it does lead the save our stages kind of leads into what you dragged up from your uh, your news piece was um, how some dubious money's been allocated to people who maybe have really deep pockets and probably don't need money. So our government kind of came out with a, with a, a rescue package for um, for the arts and most venues could apply to uh, to get get a, a share of the pie of what they were giving away. Uh, some massive numbers in there, you know. I think Resident Advisor got 750 grand or something around that. And they're, they're just an online magazine that have a ticket outlet. They're not really much more than that, are they? No, um, I know Dave Clark's been... Very, very vocal about. He's, yeah. he's become very, very vocal about a lot of things lately, which is quite, quite interesting to see. But he, he, he wrote a Facebook post yesterday directly questioning our uh, resident advisor on, on, on what they've done. And I'm not, you know, I'm not going to attack resident advisor. I think they've done a, a great job for, for dance music culture globally, um, and and similarly, 
you know, the, the one that I, I read about yesterday, I think it was, was about Boiler Room getting 790k from from the same pot. And it's like, well, hold on. Boiler Room's owned by two um, middle-class public public school-educated chaps funded by U.S. Um, venture capitalists that don't pay – well, so I read yesterday, so apologies if this is incorrect, but I read yesterday they don't pay for any of the DJs that are on um, on, on Boiler Room TV. I, you just question – They must be getting a shitload of money from advertising. Their overheads must be relatively small. All right, you've got to – I've got to fly a crew to a venue and set up the cameras and whatnot. But come on, come on, guys! It can't be that much. I think one of the one of the boiler rooms uh, owners. I mean, he's very, very, very well connected. I'm pretty sure his mom was in the House of Lords. Um, she was Lady Somebody, Lady Wallop, Lady something, Lady Wallop. Anyway, and he, he's a, apparently a direct descendant of William the Conqueror. And you kind of think mm, this is just people who are a little bit nicely connected can have a little word with someone then they get past a load of money the government can go oh we've given away all this money but is it it's not the scene that it's not the city it's not the arts that they're s- s- saving it's, it, it's going to be very london centric for sure and they're not they're not supporting you know the clubs the the, the clubs that are and the promoters that are whose livelihoods stake on this. Well, you say it's uh, not London-centric, it, you know, but the, some of the London venues that have missed out on it, and you think that, all right, you're giving resident advisors 750 grand and you're giving Boiler Room 750 grand, but the print works didn't get anything. Egg didn't get anything. Studio 338 didn't get anything. And they really need some money because their, their PA system is shite. They really, <laughs> they really needed some money. Uh, it's been redone since then. How was it? Because when we went, it was, I, I've got louder speakers in my car. Um, and oval spaces didn't get anything. The pickle factory didn't get anything. So, when you look at it in that context, have they've given money? They've given a half, half a million quid, which is what you know, one point eight million dollars touring to to two businesses that are basically online businesses. And then then they've kind of snubbed actual venues as well, which kind of that's that's the the, the travesty of it in my book. I think it's kind of crazy that there was there wasn't any stipulation within within this of being like you know having an overhead like having a brick and mortar um, because you know as we were saying uh, you know a company like Boiler Room what are their what's their overhead what are their expenses it's not like they have to pay rent or mortgages or whatnot they're not even paying their DJs um, so it's uh, you know it's kind of crazy to think that uh, clubs the people that are really um, in danger aren't getting this money that they need. Um, I don't know. I think we've had situations over here in the past uh, little bit where we thought that there was a you know a direct attack on clubs and you know um, trying to close down clubs, be it for uh, rebuilding or just you know getting the scene out of those areas so it can be gentrified. Um, so it, it always kind of plays in the back of your mind of what's actually going on here yeah uh, yeah and and it's kind of kind of scary to think about what is our future you know what where where are we going to be in two years what would yeah. be interesting is that list i i read out there printworks egg studio 338 oval spaces pickle factory if any of them go to the wall and that site is bought by someone with connections that's when you go hang on a minute yeah there's been a decision made higher up here 
not to keep this not to keep this venue alive because someone's got a vested interest in in the land that it's sat on because it's probably worth X amount of million to some in some developer. It's just a cheery thought, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It'd be as, <laughs> as, as, as Torin says, it'll be interesting over the next kind of year or so to see how it plays. I mean, hopefully, hopefully we 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 get a bit of movement in the next. I was watching I was watching the news last night. Um, and they're one of the one of the guys from like a healthcare professional fella, like an expert. I don't know what he was. I probably should, but I can't remember what his title was. But he was saying, you know, we are looking at about three to six months for for a vaccine. Which, I mean, that'd just be mega. Yeah. Right. Start start getting the vaccine out. From what I've read, the vaccine would be a short term vaccine. The first one, so there'd be a a, a short term vaccine wave. And then probably in about a year, eighteen months, that's when that's when the long term vaccine will be available, and then we'll we'll get vaccinated with that. But you know, the, it just I just can't I can't imagine what it's going to be like to go out that first. I know, night. yeah, it's going to be fucking wild. We have got to put on a night like the first when when that shit gets lifted. Fly the entire collective over into wherever <laughs> we're going to do London, Manchester, Birmingham, Toronto. Berlin, who cares, man? And have an absolute rave, and everyone, everyone will just be losing it. I mean, yeah. there's going to be well, casualties with the place. That, that's why we had two massive illegal raves in Manchester over the summer, and they attracted literally thousands of people. You know, and they, I've seen videos from it, and it was shit. You know, the sound system was shit. There's like. A sound system would have done about a hundred people. There's there's thousands of people in there, and it just it kind of the the fact that ha- that happened says to me people still have that desire. That desire is not going away. You know, yeah. it's good. It's gonna it's gonna flourish when we can when we can do it again. Absolutely. I I, I mean, you know, some people have been predicting doomsday that this is the end of this. This could be the end of the scene and stuff. Oh, shit, man, this is, it'll just come back stronger and harder when it does come back. Yeah. Uh, I- I completely agree with that. I don't think that the scene will ever die. It might be, uh, you know, a drastic blow to our scene, but man, we'll survive and we'll find other ways. Um, I mean, we see it now. We see people doing crazy things over here as well. You know, we've had tons of illegal raves. We've had people who have done social distancing raves outdoors. Um, you know, there's there's been a multitude of things that have, have gone down. Um, you know, even in Toronto, there's been you know tons of people who have just been people who have a lot of land just throwing parties out there. I don't think that you can ever stop us from dancing and wanting to listen to music. It, it won't happen ever. No, definitely. No, no chance. I mean, it'll be interesting to see, you know, you've, the, the, the venues you listed earlier, Sean, and, and there's there's big venues all around the country and all around the world. I don't, I, I, started off, I don't, I don't wish any ill to fall on them, but I do think it would be interesting of how that would reshape clubland uh, yeah. and, the, and, and the scene because I do, I, I've always felt quite sad over the last probably decade that everything's migrated towards kind of big, huge venues. You know, you've seen it in Manchester with the warehouse projects and you've seen it with places like Printworks and stuff like that, which are great experiences for sure. And, uh, you know, I've got, I've got no problem with them, but it's just a shame when it's, when the, when the, when the who loses out of the smaller clubs 
and the club hopping experience, which we've talked about before on some of the previous podcasts we do, of people just flitting from one club to another club and, and checking different places out and giving multiple places their custom and stuff like that, which is commonplace many years ago for you to just go around three or four clubs in a night, whereas now people go to one destination at half ten because they have to be in by that time and they're stuck in there till six o'clock because they've spent a fortune to get to get a ticket for there. Yeah. So, you know, th- that that would be interesting. I, I think, you know, as we say, it, it won't die and it may just need a bit of recalibration, but we'll come out of it um, as long as, you know, the people who are, are jobs depend on it. And by that, I mean, you know, people whose livelihoods depend on it. They've, they've, they've not got cash in the bank. They're not a superstar DJ with, you know, a house in Ibiza and a house in Miami and a house in New York. They're, they're, they're the guys that are going out gigging every week, the guys that are working behind the bars every night, um, just just those guys, you know, you just hope that, that they get looked after and, and get through this. Yeah. Let's um, let's move on to, to an underground collective update. Um, so what I've picked is, I think we've got some great news um especially for us as, as a as a fledgling record label is we've got our first um our first various artists um release out at the back end of next month um so on there we have um a track from tom harrison remixed by dom and that's great to see you know one underground collective dj remix another underground collective dj's track is just all about what we're about you know that was together. proper off the cuff as well because that was. wasn't that wasn't a planned remix at all it was um Top, it was was that the first release that was that our first release that no, time Mike, Mike's was first Mike release, was but first, Tom's was second, was second. Release, and, and then and Tom wanted to come we all wanted three. to play it yeah and um because it was so 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 dissimilar to Dom's style I mean Dom just could not drop that into one of his sets the original track so so Dom just took it on himself asked asked for the uh, asked for the audio asked for the stems of it and knocked together. A remix of it in his own style shared it with us and we were like that's a really nice track actually so that's gone on the va that's on the va um we've got one from el uh, rabia one of our um israeli djs uh christian kamail is releasing a track on it we've got copacetic we've got m key we've got dom's got a track in his own right we've got a track from um Mosul music um we have a track now we've a track from mike who has been our probably one of our most successful releases so far so he's got a track on the VA. Uh, and then we have I Make It Seven Debutants. Now, this is, what, this is exactly what we're about. So seven tracks on that VA are from first-time releases. And that for me, that that's, that is absolute nuts and bolts about what we're about, you know, working together. And the amount of, the amount of chat that goes on in the Producers Paradise chat um, channel in our Slack is just people helping each other. And we, I think we've got, I think El Rabia's um, track, Victor Wonka's track, Sam Beecroft, Kai, Mad Beats, and Altitude 360, they're all debuting in, on our, our our VA. And for me, that's just like I'm just proud as punch about that. Yeah, I'm honestly I'm so happy to see where how we've grown from just you know starting as a station, uh, you know just a group of us putting our heads together to to get to where we are, and then expanding from events to a record label. And I think it truly speaks to our name as a collective, yeah. uh, see each other working and helping. Because that's, a, I think, a sad thing in our community is that sometimes people don't want to help others because they're afraid that it'll take away from, yeah. from their opportunities. Whereas we realize that 
we're stronger as a team than we are individual and as individuals. So I honestly, I, that's one of the things that I love about being a part of this family. Yeah, definitely. Where well, are you, uh, Torian, in your uh, in your production journey? Have you t- thinking about yet, or did you reply yeah, the shit snail like I did? I well, to be honest, so um, before I moved to Toronto, I lived in Calgary for a few years, and um, Calgary has the only um, Ableton certified learning center in Canada. Oh, really? So I went there to learn productions because, you know, the DJing world isn't what it was like, you know, 20 years ago where you could just be a great DJ and then become, you know, class and be world class. You you know, people um, need those productions. And so I tried to do it. And honestly, I got the ideas. But once again, it's just like the frustrations of being like, this is what I want to get out of it. But... (laughs) oscillation am i supposed to use this meaty patch or and you get lost and then it's frustrations and then you just kind of it kind of tears you up inside but my whole view on production and i'll quote the late eric murillo um he had said a couple years back or maybe about a year ago that i this the way that we're doing this is actually detrimental to our scene because you have producers who are great producers, but they're not great DJs. Absolutely. Yes. So this, 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 this. And then you have the other end too. You have great DJs who are trash producers. Yeah. So what ends up happening is it's like, I don't know if you guys have ever gone to a show and you're like, oh man, this guy, this, this track is a great, this, this is great track selection. And then it's like, oh, the, the mix comes in and you're like, oh no. Yeah. And then the mix kind of, you know, you go through the train wreck, the train gets back on the tracks. So you're like, oh, yeah, this is a good track. But it's train wreck after train wreck after train wreck. Yeah. And then you have the flip side where you have people who are putting out tracks that are, like, not that great. And they're just pushing it out there to, to you know, to try and get their name out there. Or the whole ghost producer thing, too. So Yeah, it's massive, isn't it? It's, and it's massive. So for me, where my head was at was I was just like, I'm going to stick to my to my true self. And my true self is I love mixing tracks. I yeah. love mixing tracks. Um, so do I produce? Man, I got like a hundred unfinished songs <laughs> that I you know I just dick around with. You know, if I'm catching a flight somewhere, I'm, you know, I'm in a layover stuck in an airport, I might start messing around with something. But honestly, I, I have no intention really to, to, to uh, produce and release tracks. I think, I think you're right though. I think that the scene is very different than it was 20 years ago. And uh, there are, you can probably count them on one hand the amount of people who've, who have broke into the scene and broke it big that haven't it hasn't come from production mm-hmm, you know? and, yeah. and they now probably get ghost ghost produced or they can now put their name to stuff as a remix and stuff like that but they've there's very few people that have broken in the last five years that i can't have, think of anyone the black madonna is probably only one of the person you could say she's an international she's done, she's done a lot of production now yeah, but she didn't. She kind of made a name for herself as a DJ, even though there's that horrible, horrible <laughs> cross yeah. video where she absolutely abuses a mixer, which is very, very funny. Yeah. And well, you know, we all have bad up. We all have bad days. You know. Oh, it's just a shame hers is on Boiler Room TV. <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 yeah, that's there's a lot of videos like it out. Like it's a lot worse than it actually is, though. See, that's why they need the money. It's damaged their reputation. Yeah, it's for new equipment. <laughs> yeah, it's for shit the mixers in case they book her again. Oh. Um. Yeah. So that's the, that's the collective update. 
Right, we're going to go over to Tom, who is chatting to MK about his release that's coming up on Underground Collective uh, Records uh, at the end of the month, the uh, 29th. Tom, take it away. Underground Collective Exclusive Podcast. Okay, um, welcome, Mikey, to the release radar. So uh, this is a section of our new podcast where you get a chance to check out our new releases and have a chat with the artists who made them. So on today's show, we're chatting to Emke, a.k.a. Mikey, about his upcoming EP, The Feeling. Uh, it's out on Underground Collective Records on October 29th. Uh, three tracks. Um, and he's had some fantastic feedback, Mikey, so far. Um, had some great stuff from... Paco Asuna from Sam Devine, all sorts of people playing it, really loving it. Um, how's yeah. it going anyway? All good here, mate, all good. It's, uh, it's good to finally see this coming out, to be fair. Do you know, we've been uh, chatting about it, it's, it's been in the works for a while, so yeah, I'm looking forward to next week. That's interesting, uh, uh, as, a, as somebody who puts tracks out myself, when it takes a long time to come out, sometimes you think, I don't make tracks like that anymore. <laughs> How, how's this fitting in with what you're making now? really different to be honest with you I've been I've been experimenting quite a lot recently and I was even delving into a few different things when I, when I made that EP so you know it's, it's, it's kind of the same sort of sound-ish that I'm doing at the minute but there's a lot of variations here and there that I'm just trying to I'm trying to explore at the minute which is just I've had the time the last couple of months to try and explore different avenues on different tracks so yeah it's, it's all coming together slowly but surely nice. uh, it's got your typical sound this the sort of um there's a deep dubby vibe, but it's still got dance floor action. And you seem to manage to, to hold those two things together nicely. Yeah, I was, I was aiming for that with the, with the lead track, really. I was, and I wanted to do something slightly different. Uh, and I kind of, kind of focused on the breaks. I wanted, like, different breaks because I was doing a lot of the same stuff over and over. Do you know, when you when you start getting into the studio and getting in that sort of arrangement head, you end up just making the same stuff. So I kind of, kind of spread myself differently on them two tracks, and especially the second one. It kind of just goes flat a little bit, and then it grooves when it comes back in again. So that's what I was aiming for with that one. Yeah, um, how's it going in the studio? What's your what's your go to bits of kit? What are you what are you up to? What what things do you like? What to, you be, to be honest, I'm just literally working off a mini controller at the minute. I'm, I had I had little bits like I had uh, the machine, yeah, and uh, a few different things. Like uh, I can't even remember what ones I had. It was a while ago now, but I just couldn't really get my flow going properly. Yeah. Um, and I'm I'm just the way I work and the way I operate is kind of kind of simple and simplistic on a laptop or my computer when I'm. When I'm not on the move when I'm in the studios so on the computer but I'm saving everything because I'm, I'm here then everywhere sometimes so I've got everything in like a, an Apple what's the do you know like the iTunes thingy whatever it is the iCloud or whatever so I've got everything saved in that so when I'm bouncing back and forward I can just drop ideas in and then when I sit down in the studio I can really hone them in so I'm just literally working either on the laptop or on the computer when I'm back home You're quite fluid you're quite good at getting stuff finished yeah yeah, that's 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 working for me at the minute. Do you know what I'm? That's, that's the, the process is working, so I'm not going to change it. To be honest. Yeah, I mean, I'm super slow at finishing anything, so I'm always completely jealous of anybody who gets shit done. Well, you done you done well with the remix. That was quite yeah, fast. Yeah, it's because it was something else. It was like, yeah, yeah, best not, best not screw this up. Uh, right, let's have a listen. So I'm just going to kick us off with a little bit of the feeling, which is the title track of the EP. Come back to me 
What was, you, what was you thinking there? That was, so I think that was one of the first tracks that I really delved into Serum. Yeah. Through the synthesizer. So I got my hands on that and I was just messing about quite a lot. Uh, and I started, I started working with the bass line and then I was, I was bouncing things off the bass line, different elements. And then I just come up with the, the main synth rinth. Uh, synth rinth? Synth riff. <laughs> synth rinth. Uh, <laughs> yeah, where did that? <laughs> yeah, so the, the, main, the main sort of synth, I was bouncing back and forth. And I just started experimenting with different arpeggiated notes and stuff. Uh, and then that was the finished product, the main the main part of it. And then I just kind of built the track around it. So, like you say, that dance floor sort of feel to it. That's what I was going for with the, with the lead track there. Yeah, and when we were chatting about it, the first time I heard one of the early verses of it, it's got quite a cool sort of modular feel for that sort of. Uh, yeah, it was it. It had that nice um, arpeggiation, and uh, yeah, it, it was it was cool. It was dance floor. It was still a bit stripped back. So, yeah, it had a really yeah. nice time. So, got some really cool feedback. It's been going. Oh, good to hear that. Good to see it. Yeah, absolutely. And then, uh, yeah, this is uh, shameless self-promotion. I jumped on the remix. <laughs> shameless, shameless. It's terrible, isn't it? Yeah, I get you in as the first guest for the release. One <laughs> <laughs> of your tracks, terrible behaviour. Uh, so we'll have a quick thirty seconds to see what we think. Yeah. enjoyed doing that one Mikey yeah I love it mate I do I love it because it's something that is completely different to what I'm making and what I would do but it just brings a different element and a different aspect to the EP I think it yeah. sets on fire like it was a bit darker and a bit more stripped out but yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah for sure 
Yeah, I enjoyed working with your palette of sounds. It, it actually it, it made it easy. So it was a quality uh, set of um, tracks that you sent over. So I, I had loads of fun doing that. Yeah, wicked me. That's what it's all about. That's why it's such a good a good product at the end of it because you enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, that's why it turned out well. Um, I always do this thing as well where um, ends up as uh, you know we upload stuff to SoundCloud and it gives you a little you know it, it processes it gives you a little tag tells you what sort of genre it is. Mine always. Yep unclassified electronic so <laughs> I'm struggling to have any sort of genre to hang out in you know <laughs> just make your own bit I need some of your discipline um, you've done quite a few remixes yourself haven't you yeah it's, it's picking up again really I've just been approached again a couple of times to, to on, on different labels um, I'm not going to promote any other any other labels that I'm on recently at the minute but... promote away mate <laughs> no no it's all good mate it's all in the works anyway um, but it's good. My, my music's getting held all over the all over the planet now. Really, I've got a lot of stuff coming out over in Chile. Mm. So uh, I've signed to signed to a couple of labels over there. They, they were loving the sounds, and then different label owners from Chile as well. I don't know why. Even on Spotify, when I look on Spotify, I've got a lot of listeners over in Chile. So they must just be loving that kind of that yeah, kind of niche market there, mate. But yeah, for sure, mate. So they've uh, they've a couple of label owners have asked me to jump on remixes and stuff, and it's these guys for artists that have been on like Deep Perfect and and their innocent music and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's really good. And I'm looking forward to some of the stuff that are coming out now. What's your approach to remixes? How, have, you got, so have you got like a good sort of a working structure that you always go to? Uh, kind of. It depends what I get sent over, really. But I just I tend to stay away from any sort of main percussive element. Uh, sometimes they send the bass line. I, 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 don't, I never, ever work with the same kick or bass line. It's just, that's the go-to. Like, you know, it gets down too samey and it's too easy to get caught up in, in their sort of track. So I tend to I tend to get my idea out a little bit, use what I can, and see what see what elements I can sort of warp if you like, yeah. and then arrangement wise I'll get I'll get what I want to do in arrangement, and then I'll just never go back to the original track again because then I can feel myself pulling myself towards what they were doing too much, and then you can end up with something that sounds too samey. Yeah. Uh, so I, I tend not to not to get involved in the original track at all. I can just go them on route and it works most of the time. That's cool, and that's good advice for anybody who's tuning in. Um, yeah. Once you've got an idea of how you want to represent it, you just need mm. to part the original. Uh, and yeah, go you have to, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's check out the third one on your EP now. Do you know what? In the promo, Mike, this has got some seriously good feedback. Um, people How's it? This. Um, and, and, and you said, um, I think when you make a lot of tracks, sometimes you, you get these sleepers and you go, oh, did I make that? Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I've got to agree, um, this one is called What's That Sound? What's that sound? 
Yeah, I really enjoyed making that one as well, to be fair. Like, and I never actually made these two tracks simultaneously or together. They were completely different different projects all over the place, but it just kind of worked together. Do you know when I started listening back? So I remember we were looking through some tracks, weren't we, at the time? Uh, and these two really did stand out as a, as a pair, really, because they were, they were different, but they were so, so similar in the same way. I think it was the groove. The groove kind of just sticks out a little bit, especially on the second one. There's a, there's a lot going on, which, is, uh, which was a different approach for me as well, really, so it was good to get out. Yeah, it's, it's again, it's, it's nailed that sort of deep dubby vibe, but it's still got dance flow in there. Beats still skip around. Uh, it's a nice piece of yeah. work. Yeah, thank I'm you. Loving that, mate. Uh, so, good work. Yeah, yeah, for sure, mate, for yeah, sure. I'm looking forward to next week now. Right, so, um, this is your second release on Underground Collective Records. How's it, uh, how'd you get on? How's it, how's it feel being part of something a bit different, a bit different from a normal label, more member-led, more of a family? It's, it's really good, mate. It's, I've seen a lot of feedback from the guys as well, like, you know, just in general about, about the way things are running, the way things sort of go. And it's just good to have, because everybody that's in the sort of collective, there's so many, like, ranges of different different artists and different types of music. So, like, it's not like anybody, there's, there's no not competing if you like no one's competing against each other everybody's just there to, to to lend a different ear onto different aspects of music and it's all about the music at the end of the day which is which is brilliant so there's not a lot of collectives I say collectives you know not, no pun intended but there's not a lot of collectives that are like that you know um, so it's, it's been especially before you started the label uh, things were all over, over the place for everybody really but they really got in tune with what was going on with the brand itself before the label come along so I think the label was just that added extra touch where it's been it's been fantastic from my point of view anyway yeah, and uh, what we what we do like is this idea that we've got, you know, almost an escalator of um, experience in the production. We've got some really experienced producers are on a hand to lend advice. Um, we've got the likes of yourself who can really show people what a pathway is to getting tracks out there and being on multiple labels, having a bit of a global presence, and helping people who are new, you know, to get stuff out there through our yeah, yeah. relations, uh, through our advice channels, and. Uh, yeah, and it's been great. It has. It's been, there's been a lot of good feedback, like I say, mate, from, from different aspects of it. So, no, it's good, to, it's good to be a part of it. Now, you've done something quite smart, really, haven't you? You're being ambitious. You have set up your own brand, imprint, label. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, so that, for me, like, this, I don't know, I wasn't really planning on that happening this year. 
But with the way things went on at the start of the year, you know, I had to sort of, because all my shows, like everybody else, got cancelled. It was quite a, a busy year coming up this year for me. Um, so I had to do something. I had to just, just sort of look at a different avenue and see what was best. So use the time constructively in the beginning, really. Just uh, kind of everybody was down in the dumps the first sort of couple of months when all this kicked off. But you just had to sort of regroup and refocus like everybody else just had to do. And there's, there's a few things that have come in the pipeworks. I never done it earlier because I just wanted to get things right. So I spent a good three, two, three, four months planning properly, really. Uh, and the label launches in two weeks' time. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that as well. Now, you've got a really funky, difficult to pronounce name, haven't you? T- tell us how we're staying it. Yeah, so it's You Know Record. There we go, You Know. You're going to keep up, yeah. And uh, who have you got signed up? What's coming out first? So I'm actually, I've not even accepted any demos yet. And I've got, I've got um, releases backed up until maybe next July time, I think. So I'm not going to overstep them out too much. I'm just going to do like a six-week release schedule. And it's not even my own music, really, I'm putting out. Yeah, I'm doing a couple of remixes and I've got an EP next year. Uh, but it's just guys that I've sort of not looked up to, but have been inspirational with my own DJ sets, not just productions. Yeah. Uh, and I just kind of started to approach people. And people that I've worked with in the past and stuff like that, and just, just good guys to have on board that I wanted to work with before I started accepting demos and getting everything in. But we'll be accepting demos soon, so don't worry about that. Yeah. But yeah, we've I've signed there. Uh, Look at M, Newcoven, the uh, Newcoven Yelmet, sorry, they've done a remix. I've got um, Mint Japan, he's, yeah. he's signed an EP. Um, White Label, he's done a lot of stuff on like audio rehab and stuff. Yeah. Uh, Wired, he's been on Wired quite a lot, so he's the start of next year. I've got a VA lined up, I'm doing my own EP that's got a good couple of remixes on it. Uh, who else? I want, don't want to give too much away, you see, so I'm just <laughs> trying to be selective on what I'm doing. Yeah, <laughs> No, but yes, yeah, planning stage. Yeah, planning stage. It's going really well. Yeah, brilliant. What's the uh, What's it been like with the uh, back of house business, the admin, the running of the label? Have you found that? It's been It's been not too bad because I've done the, the planning for. So this is a great, great um, sort of information for anybody that's looking into doing stuff like this. But everything's in my Google Drive, and it's it's literally set out from when I'm approaching someone to to accepting demos. I've got like ten plates all written out and so all the hard work was done previously so then when I'm actually now doing the job as like an A&R if you like to scout these artists that I want to work with everything's already done all the admin side's done so I just need to like duplicate templates and do this and do that and then all the, the back end the, the label stuff as well that's all it's all kind of like self-explanatory from my end once I've done all the planning so that's been the difficult part the busy work was before the launch so now the launch I can actually just enjoy the launch and I'm looking forward to just releasing the music and then letting people hear it Fantastic. You seem to be doing it. seem to be finding it a lot smoother than I do. I find it. <laughs> you know, so, you know, I need some of whatever you're doing. Yeah. It's, cause, uh, it's just because I'm a geek, mate. I'm, I'm, I'm too geeky. You know, I just love, I love everything to be in its place. <laughs> I need some of that geek. Uh, what are your plans for 2021, mate? So I think I'm just going to orientate myself and everything that I'm looking to do around the, the label, really, because it's a new new brand. Uh, I'm just going to try and concentrate on that and just, just get the brand to where I want it to be. Um, so I think the main focus, obviously, it's going to be a while before we get any sort of normality back. So it's going to be the, the releases on the label um, and then just, just chip away at my own productions. You know, music music is the answer for me at the minute. I'm not even worrying about DJ sets and gigs and, and, and what's going to happen. You know, that'll, that'll come again later. Yeah. Uh, I'm just spending my time wisely and just putting effort into my own music just to try and... Because I feel like I'm getting to that point where I am sort of creating that identity 
And I, I want to just keep implementing that and everything that I'm doing at the minute and then use the label as a platform to, to start approaching clubs when I've got something behind the label, do you know? Yeah, and you know what? You're exactly right. You're getting a really cool identity out there. We can hear your signature sound and stuff. It's going really well. Um, thanks for spending some time with us. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, no, no, thanks for having me. Yeah, more than welcome. Remind everybody that um, M-Key, the Feeling EP, is out on the 29th of October on all your usual channels. Um, nice one, Mikey. Speak soon. Great. Cheers, buddy. Thanks. Uh, thanks to Tom and thanks to Mikey for his time there to talk about his um, his upcoming release on the Underground Collective Records. Um, guys, what do you think of that? Yeah, oh, good stuff from Mikey as always. You know, he's um, he's, he's, he's one of the uh, big names that the the collective now. I know he's um, is it both Club News he's working for? Yeah, yeah. He's, he's got his own. Uh, he's got his own. Stuff that he's doing on is it you know you is that how he pronounces? I'm not sure. Yeah, something like that. I'm not sure how it's pronounced though. Yeah, but you know, he's 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 been bringing out some fantastic records over the last well, the last six months particularly, the last year, um, maybe maybe even longer. We've been in this time vortex, haven't we? Which oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. To understand. <laughs> was it was it January last month or was it was it September? I can't really remember. But um, yeah, I mean, he's, he's a very, very, very talented producer and talented DJ. So, against what we were talking about earlier, yeah, um, Mikey is definitely one of the one of the guys who ticks both boxes, um, and he's a he's a real rising star at the minute. He's he's getting a lot of exposure. He's playing at a lot of. Big parties, played at Egg, played at High in Ibiza yeah. um, last year, um, and he's and he's producing some really really great records that are getting a lot of support from the likes of Paco Asasuna. Um, so Sam, Sam Devine was um, picking it up as well, wasn't she? So that's that's I mean for our little label, you know, our little in-house label to get feedback from Paco Asuna and Sam Devine, that's you know that shows we're in the right kind of ballpark, doesn't it? I, I love the little acid line and got the feeling, you know. Yeah. I love that. I mean, I love Acid House anyway. You know, I think anyone of our kind of age kind of really understands Acid House and where it comes from and, and its importance. So anything with a nice little... And uh, Acid in the fact that it's just a nice little rumble of an Acid, not like a big yeah. part. It's just in it's a, it's a nice little synth line. It's not taking over the track. But yeah, yeah I think it's awesome. That's my favourite kind of Acid is, uh, you know, I don't like when uh, the Acid is prominent. I like it as a background, as a complementary sound. Um, what I really like about this release, listening to these two tracks, is the balance. You know, I feel like it's, uh, you know, the first track gets you going, and it's like a nighttime thing, kind of gets you strutting. And then that last one, I felt like I could be on a beach somewhere, you know, mid-afternoon, and just, you know, sitting back and just listening to it. So to me, I really like the balance of, of this release. Uh, I think it sounds great. Cool. Right, so let's move on to... Uh... What is going to be, let's be honest, the most contentious topic of every podcast um, is is my hot topic. And I, I kind of got to this. I was, I was at the gym on Friday. I know I don't look like I go to the gym, but I do try. Um, <laughs> and all of a sudden, this track came on. And I thought, oh, I've not heard that for ages. I've not heard it for ages. And it was a wicked tune. And it is a wicked tune. And unfortunately, it's by 10 Walls. Mm-hmm. So it was walking by walking with elephants by Ten Walls and it's a great track. Oh man, it's a fucking awesome record. And I tw- I I posted on the Underground Collective Facebook page of the day. I posted, was that the start of that this melodic? Was that the start of melodic house and techno? Because for me, it's the first time I really remember that the melody really 
being you know the focal point of the track not the big kick and not the baseline it, the melody in that and that was early 2014 and i was thinking was that the start on melodic house and techno because i can't think of anything before it that has that real distinct synth line you know those distinct keys that kind of drive the track the big question is because we all well, let's 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 preface it with what he said which is fucking abhorrent he said he linked being a homosexual to being a paedophile brick and then he also called people of um lgbtq a different breed now to not understand where where electronic music has come from it's at its roots at the end of the day all this comes from gay black disco that's yep. that's where house music comes from you know underground movement in chicago you know it was a gay club it was predominantly black and latinos that invented house music and to to kind of shit all over its roots with coming up with phrases like that he deserves to have his his career go up in smoke with two tweets in my opinion so my big question is can or should we separate the artist from the art you know and it's and there's there's kind of especially in you know the me too era and what we've gone through the last three or four years with you know um especially recently with without Murillo, you know him not facing up to the charges that, that was brought against him you know can you separate the artist or can you can or should you separate the artist from the art now i've kind of done a little bit of research on some of the artists i've kind of liked over the years what they've done and what they've said and and kind of wrestled this thought with this kind of question myself um I'm a big fan of the Smiths, being from Manchester, Manchester boy. Man, I love the Smiths. I'm a huge Morrissey fan. Yeah, but he has said some fucking awful things as well. Yeah. And you're thinking, oh, no, no, don't say things like that. I really enjoy listening to your music. And now I have it tainted with your opinions that people eat meat are paedophiles. You know what I mean? If paedophilia is as bad as eating meat. I'm like, no, no. And then him wearing, and this is a little bit different, admittedly because everyone's entitled to their political opinion, but wearing far-right badges and thinking, yeah. oh... That was, that was the end of it for me with, with him. It, just, he's a prick. It, I, I've thought he's a prick for a while. I love his music. I love the Smiths. I, I, I hate Morrissey. Morrissey's a, a jumped-up prick who thinks he's more important than he actually is. Um, but, but does, but does. I, I think, I, think I, I would draw... I would draw quite a strong distinction between what Morrissey said about people who eat meat being paedophiles and people being who are homosexual being paedophiles. For me, there is a chasm between those two things. Eating meat is a choice. Eating meat, some people massively disagree with it, and that's absolutely fair enough. I respect their view. It's killing of animals for our pleasure. Ultimately, we don't have to do it. I do, because... <laughs> I fucking love me, you know, but that's my choice at the end of the day. Homosexuality is not a choice. Homosexuality is not a life choice. It's not a lifestyle. It's, it's something, it's, it's, it's something innate in you that you're born with. And there is absolutely zero wrong with it. And what he said was just, and, and the fact that he's still cast into the darkness now, good. Fuck him. Is all I can say on that one. For me, um, I well first talk, touching on Morrissey. You know, one of my uh, one of my buddies, we really love. We both love the Smiths, and we realized Morrissey just is super egocentric. And all those songs that he writes, he's writing about his love for himself. He's yeah. you know, um, 
but there as as you're saying like there is a huge difference in between what he said and and um what um um sorry Timbles. that um i think it's completely unexcusable um not only forget the whole aspect of you know what's making you prosperous came from the people that you're talking down on it's just you shouldn't be saying things like that about people even if that is your beliefs keep that to yourself that yeah, that doesn't yeah. need to be said um and in terms of separating people like the artists from their art i mean you can still enjoy the music you can do whatever that's that's up to you you want to listen into your house while you're cleaning your house or whatever um but in terms of playing it out and gaining I don't think that we should be putting money in those people's pockets. Um, if you say something like that and you are um, just vile, I don't want to be supporting you because I don't know where your money is going, what you're supporting as well. Um, and you do not deserve to be making money off your art. So, uh, you know, it's just like a politician or any other public figure. You have to watch what you're saying. And if, you know, you say the wrong things, you, you're out. Yeah, making some noise, but I, you know the thing is, is there's different ways of being provocative, and and there's levels, and also yeah. like you have to realize, you know, when they say, you know, with great power comes great responsibility, you have to understand that you are, even if you don't want to be this, you are being a role model, you are influential to people, yeah, um, and if you're doing this to be provocative, and some people might laugh it off and see through that, there are some people who who will. Like, you know, fall into it. And some yeah. people maybe necessarily would not have gone um, to, you know, this far right movement. Now they're like, oh, well, yeah, Morrissey, like my guy, he's doing this, he's doing that. And then they fall into this, um, you know, and get radicalized, we can say, yeah. right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I totally believe that it's um, artists, it, it sucks to say this because, you know, um, who was saying this recently? Someone had said, you know, I didn't sign up to be a role model. And yeah, you didn't sign up for this. But you have to understand that that is just part of what comes with this industry or being in on uh, you know in the in the in light, the, right? The public eye, yeah. That's it. Yeah, so I... we've touched on Morrissey. Let's touch on on the next big one because there's certain ele certain elements that would have sweeped this under the carpet, and it's Michael Jackson. Now, most of the stuff has come out post his death well obviously he built he beat the charges when he was alive if jackson had found him been found guilty would have been interesting to see what the response would have been because i, I don't think i don't think he'd have been blacklisted in the way gary glitter was um but we'll never know i um so the way i look at it is with michael jackson it has to be we have to say alleged um, you know, he beat the cases before and then after he's dead, people start coming out of the woodworks and talking and it's like, well, now this person can't even defend themselves. Um, so I think though, if Michael Jackson was alive and then these people came out of the woodworks and then, you know, he was found guilty, a hundred percent, he'd be blacklisted. I think there's a fair comparison. I'm not saying that this person's music is on the same level as Michael Jackson, but look at what happened with R. Kelly, you know, yeah. R. Kelly made tons of massive hits had a huge catalog and when all the stuff came out and people and we saw what was happening nobody listens to r kelly anymore yeah. all of his stuff is off of all spotify uh, um, itunes everything like that so um when it comes to that and even with eric murillo like i loved eric murillo's music oh, man. 
Yeah, mate, we we went to see Mar- I went to see. I worked out. I went to Murillo about ten times in three years, and that was in Manchester, Birmingham, London, Ibiza. He and for Murillo, he's really what got my wife into it. So we went to see Murillo on Easter weekend in 2003 at Sankey's, and I've been telling my wife for 18 months, saying she loves dancing, she loves music, and she wasn't really getting she wasn't really getting house music. She didn't really get it. She she'd come from the era of listening to pop music and going going cheesy clubbing. Now yeah. we took her to Sankey's 2003 Easter weekend, and he he without Murillo. My wife wouldn't have got into wouldn't have got into electronic music. You know, we wouldn't have the relationship we have without Murillo. So it was he played a massive part in in my education and my love of house music. Mm-hmm. However, yeah, so to, yeah, he was a huge part of my life early on <clears throat> when I started DJing. And, so what, what were you going to say, Tori? Well, with with Murillo, um, we we don't have to say a legend. Granted, he didn't get to go to court, but he turned himself in, and and you know and agree and said what he did. You know, at first I didn't want to believe it because for me, when it comes to rape allegations, I totally am under the thought of don't uh, like you know don't say that the person who has been raped, the victim, yeah, as you know hasn't been raped, and don't yeah. say that the person who the accused has performed the rape. We need. Uh, to hear both sides and need to go to court and then we should make our decisions. But if you turn yourself in and agree to what has happened, well, then you're, you're guilty. And it, it sucks because, you know, it, it it sucks because, man, Eric Murillo, he's Eric Murillo. Like, I mean, yeah. multi-generational, um, tons of hits under so many monikers. Um, but unfortunately, hey, you did something that to me is absolutely Unexcusable, uh, yeah. unexcusable. Yeah. Um, did, did, if you say that you know I had done a bunch of ketamine, or because uh, we all know he had a huge ketamine problem, but um, well, he nearly lost an arm, didn't he? He nearly he had he had lost an arm. Yeah, yeah. yeah like, was, uh, was... like four or five years back, he almost lost his arm, yeah. and it's like so. To me, there's no excuse to ever taking advantage of somebody. Um, you know, if no is no, and no matter how messed up you are. Um, you understand when somebody doesn't want what you're doing. So, yeah, the worrying thing is, uh, is that there's more allegations. Well, the, I mean, there's shitloads of allegations about Marilla now. And to be honest, I think most of us have probably heard things on the grapevine over the last few years about things about, you know, behavior in Marilla. I know from a promoter who had Murillo in a club one night um, at one of his nights told me about four or five years ago about some behavior that you were like, Whoa, that doesn't sound too hot. Now, all these are just, these are just stories, but some of the DJs that have now come out, female DJs have come out and said about the way Murillo behaved around them when they were coming up through the scene and things like that. Um, that, there's absolutely no reason. There's no reason for them to come up with these stories now. There's no reason for them to come forward with this. It paints a very uncomfortable picture. And the person I feel most sorry for is the person who didn't get their day, as has been said, as didn't get their day in court. Yeah, mm-hmm. to stand exactly. In front of me and say what you did to me was wrong, and for the law to say what you did to that woman there was wrong. Yeah. 
and and for him to be given justice for it. Let's um, let's go on to your the next topic, which is your your in the box selection. Um, so it's a track by Gary Burrows. And it's called "We Had It All," and I'm going to play. Um, I'm going to play it now, and we can uh, have a quick listen. What in fact? What I'm going to do first is I'm going to play where the sample's from. Does anyone know where the sample is from? Not you, Simon, because I shared it on. Sorry, do you know where the sample is from? No. The sample is from Alexander O'Neill and the SOS band. What? Here you go. Check this out. The vocal, the vocal sample is from the SOS band and Alexander O'Neill. And the track is called... Um, this track is called The Finest. There you go. Man, that's a fucking bangs. Yeah, man. What fucking tune that is. That's beautiful. It just kind it's of just like that is pure. That is pure <laughs> rare groove. That's is that pure, that? Yeah, that is pure rare groove. That isn't it? That's pure eighties electronic. Why do I know that? Why, do, why? Why have I listened to that track recently? But then it was sampled by um, someone else in the dance music scene, and it came out on defective and kind of went massive. And Torian's pick, Gary Burroughs, we had it all, samples. I'm not sure if it samples the sample. It probably does. It probably samples the track that's undefected, but this is Torian's pick.
Victorian? Tell us about that track. Oh man, well, honestly, right down to you know putting the bass right in between the kicks to give you kind of that heartbeat feeling. Um, that is an instant draw right away. Um, I'm a sucker for vocals. I love vocals, and I'm a little bit of a sap. Um, so with this track, it's like you know you think of love lost. Um, you think about you know man, we had it all, and then I can even think about. I could even link it to kind of the situation that we're going through right now where it's like, you know, we're all here sitting in our basements, listening to live, like, you know, watching festival, uh, you know, digital virtual festivals. And it's like, man, we had it all. You know, all those times you said you were going to go out to those events and you didn't show up, man, you missed out. We had it all. Um, So for me, like this just resonates with me on so many different levels. And I mean, it's just a banging tune as well. Like you know, you can't sit still listening to that. Like, yeah, it's um, got it's got a proper it's got a proper rumble. Uh, that's what I like to describe as a rumble. Yeah, it's got that yeah. bottom end techno rumble. But then I quite like the rising synths that are in it as well because I'm a sucker for that. You know, it's uh, it's 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 quite um, like almost the breakdown is almost like Bodzin or Taylor Vussy kind of sound yeah, to it, isn't it, with the synths and stuff. Mm-hmm. The when it kicks back in it's just absolutely driving yeah it's like that track just gets me like from the moment i heard it um i just was like yeah this is and now it's almost in like a heavy rotation for me like almost every set that i'm putting together like i want to put it in i'm like oh man <laughs> yeah. but I'm like, it's like but i just want to play it three weeks on the trot i'm still gonna play it yeah you know it's like it's great and i've also you know i got all the remixes of it as well the fontana remix is, is great as well but uh, the original the original is key to me um i, I really i just love the track through and through you know, good track. vocals are very important right like you know we we come from you know you know a lot of our music doesn't have vocals but vocals allow people to relate it, it, you know really attaches people to the song um, and it, everybody for different reasons, but it allows people to relate. And that's where I find is very key is that that makes you like even fall into the music even more because you're like, oh, yeah, you're speaking to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I get that completely. I mean, some of the some of the greatest house tracks ever have a vocal. Some of those some of those vocals of, you know, I don't know. Um, I heard you say Dennis Ferrer. Oh, <laughs> oh. Man, yeah. Oh, hey, I've, I've, oh. I've been so close to playing that for the last kind of three months in my oh, in my man. in my mix. Den- Dennis Frey's the fucking king of doing that, though, isn't it? He? he was the king of the vocal hook, man. Yeah. Oh yeah. What was that I track he made with Dido? That was a good track. Um. Oh. You made a track with Dido. I guess. Yeah. I could see the cover art, but I like the track isn't isn't. I always tell my friends I'm the worst DJ because I never remember names of tracks, but I remember the cover art, photographic. Well, oh no, it was, a, it was a remix. Don't believe in love. Dennis Frere's objectivity remix. This I've not literally not heard this for ages. Tell you. 
I'd love Dennis Ferrer because he was, we've spoken about it many times and we're going to go over it again. He fucking enjoys himself in that DJ booth. And I fucking, I love a DJ that enjoys himself in that DJ booth. I enjoy watching you, Torian, on your streams <laughs> because you're having a fucking good time. Yeah. Let's move on to uh, the next section, which is another, um, Tom's going to look after this. Tom, over to you. Underground Collective Exclusive Podcast. Okay, welcome to our regular Underground Collective members profile. Today we welcome Aura Sounds. How's it going? Yeah, I'm really good. Um, been quite busy recently with a few uh, live streams with Underground Collective and Access. So yeah, no, I'm in in a good place. Cool. And, and where where are you actually? Because because we're doing this via video, and you look somewhere that doesn't look very homely. It looks a little bit like a, a bachelor pad. What's going on? <laughs> I wish it was <laughs> my own little bachelorette pad. Uh, I'm actually uh, currently in Manchester. I've, I've escaped for a week. Um, so, no, it's really good uh, just due to my day, day job as a designer. So, uh, yeah, I'm back in my, my hometown. So it's really, really nice. So sort of uh, just around the corner from my old apartment as well. So been a bit nostalgic this week, which has been great. So Did you just clunk um, in the fact that you're a designer in your day job? That's that's just that's for showing off. But I mean, the, the DJ part's supposed to be the cool job, not the actual day job. Um, oh, I don't know. I think DJing's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so we met quite a while ago uh, doing some sort of pre-gig session, uh, didn't we? And yeah, then, uh, I think, I think first off, we played a gig together. Um, but I never asked at the time. How did you get started? With all the DJing, how did how did that start for you? Well, actually, you're gonna laugh at that. That was my very first gig, you know. That was That's my very first gig. Compared to my first gig, um, yeah, yeah, that was my first gig with uh, uh, EMR, who's actually now another underground collective girl, which is great. Uh, yeah, we, that was my very first gig. Um, I think it was hers too, actually, randomly. So yes, we held each other's hands. Uh, well, it was a bit of a long one, really. Uh, I've always been a massive music head. Like, I grew up with music around me. Um, it's all my dad's fault, as I keep saying to everybody. Uh, and I only started two years ago. Just on a whim, I was meant to be going to Ibiza. Um, it got cancelled last minute because of a design job. Basically, went over. I couldn't say no. I was gutted. Absolutely gutted. Um, and... A good old Google ad just popped up just as I cancelled my flight saying, oh, uh, there's this DJ course in Manchester. It's a three-month thing. And I had this money burning in my bank account ready for a beat. And I thought, fuck, let's just do it. Fuck it. Let's just do it. And um, I dropped it. And then two days later, sat in a sat in a, a room with a few other people, um, Matt Roberts being one of them. And, uh, yeah, we just... Uh, I just thought, oh my God, what am I doing here? And oh. I went up like a lettuce leaf, hit play, and I thought, actually, no, this is really good. <laughs> this is actually a really good decision. There was two girl, two other girls in the class out of 12. Like, the girls are not seen around in the DJ booth. Yeah, It's getting much better. I've, I've definitely noticed there's like a massive increase of girls taking it up. Yeah. But I think uh, it's a thing that it's quite male-dominated, and I was bit put off with that um not that you guys you guys are lovely but um yeah I was a bit put off with that and uh, also when you look at a DJ deck as well there is a lot of lights and there's a lot of buttons and you're just like oh my god what what do I hit because this is ridiculous and then and, most, uh, most of them are useless and you know yeah yeah <laughs> well 
Now that, that, that that's interesting. And, and in one of our previous uh, podcasts, we, we we talked about the underrepresentation of female DJs and some of the structural issues and systemic yeah. stuff that, that we still see. Um, yeah, and it it's, it 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 would be good to to get your perspective on that. Um, do you think it's, yeah. things getting better? Yeah, I definitely do. Um, I think it, it has its advantages and disadvantages. Um, I do feel that um, in some respects, I do get more gigs in respect that I'm a girl and I'm in quite a niche uh, genre. Uh, there's not many of us that do techno. Um, so in that respect, I get a lot of gigs uh, because uh, people are more and more open to having girls and want to have some kind of female presence, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really good. Um I've only had come across it once or twice in the last two years of it being an issue of me being a girl. Uh, but ultimately, actually, I think everyone's really open to the idea of making it more equal. And I think it's brilliant. Um, there's some amazing DJs out there that are girls as well. So, And um, some of them show the bo- how the boys to do it, which is really great. Absolutely. So no, I think I think it's definitely something that is leveling off, um, and I've never really been in a situation where I felt uncomfortable in that respect. I've always been around guys that have been more than happy to let me take the reins and have a go on the decks, which is amazing. So, yeah, Absolutely. especially in the northwest, I think there's a lot of support, which and I think is great. It should be, and, and but I'll, I'll be honest, when we've explored the idea that there is some pushback, I think a lot of male DJs don't recognise that decades of male privilege we've had in this area uh, and whenever yeah. there's anything that rebalances there's this sort of a uh, pushback around well they're only getting a gig because they're a female yeah. dj and that's novel and i, I was uh, we were all hoping that that would start to uh, dissipate and people would recognize exactly you know how far yeah. it's moving and, and, and what it looks like um i just got to pick up on the dj stuff you're a very yeah, technically good dj for somebody who's only been doing it for two years um, well, I appreciate that because you're a great DJ. So, <laughs> is there any real tips that you got as you were learning that would be useful for other people? Um, uh, yeah, definitely. Um, I say start with the basics. I think um, everything lies on beat matching, beat match, beat match, beat match until you're absolutely going mad. Um, when I first started, uh, I was taught by a really ace guy called uh, Mark One, and he's he's really well known especially yeah. in the like northwest for being a really really technically good dj um and uh, he we were going i was going mad because he was like yeah no you need to go like 10 hours a week of just beat matching for the next four weeks and i was like you, you kill it you're gonna kill me doing that yeah. um didn't actually realize what a massive thing it is um to be able to do that on the fly because it's so important because that is the building blocks of everything you do in your set and um everything relies on that so that that is so important um and um yeah it's just like i do like a little practice before i do any set really um like half an hour almost like warm up yeah to get my my connections and my transitions in a good place so yeah, I, I would say like really start from the basics. Um, once you get that, you build upon that. So that would be my my absolute number one. Um, I know, that, I know what, what 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 I've noticed and, and some of the notices about um, about your DJ is you put in actual prep, dedication, and, and you you get things prepared and you do it right, don't you? Some people just turn up and wing. Yeah. I, I know that's all very well and good, but sometimes yeah. you've made sure 
it's all right. Um, before I do a gig, I probably will do about 20 hours practice before the gig yeah. the week before. And also, like, um, if it's, like, something that I haven't done before or, like, I'm using, like, um, I remember when I was really, like, I've really loved playing with acapellas and samples, um, like, um, Angelo Mayer, who's, like, very famous, yeah. um, like, poet from America. Yeah. Um, I love her, like her to like her tone and how she speaks and stuff like that so I love taking samples like that and adding them into tracks and stuff so like if I'm going to do anything special like that I will even take even longer and to really make sure that I've got everything prepped and ready to go so and uh, sometimes I even touch base with uh Mark as well uh my my tutor um and uh just to like just have like a lesson because I think um, that's another thing as well. Like when people like step into the booth, they're like, oh yeah, I'm a DJ now. Um, and they don't practice. And that's, that's a really massive yeah. thing. Like practice makes progression and progress. Um, it doesn't make you perfect, but it, it just adds on to that because you never will be perfect. But yeah, so I'll go, I'll go and have basically like a session with him to like, sort of like sharpen me up on like transitions and stuff and make, you know, get bad habits out of me and stuff as well. But yeah. I take it seriously when I get out of a gig, but I love it as well. That's so cool. I love the prep, and I love the prep side as well because I, I am terrible. I'm terrible for going um, crate uh, digging, yeah. <laughs> like, and I'll get new tracks and stuff like that. So yeah, it's very rare. Like, I probably only have like a few tracks that I will have from the previous one that I will put into the next one, and then obviously I have my. I'm most interested yeah. in the, the context when you're prepping to DJ. I always want to know. What's the venue? What's the promoter? What do they expect? Who's yeah. before me? Who's after? What's the time of night? Um, yeah, yeah, it's really important. I agree with you. Like, it's really important that you are sit rightly in the night because I can't rock. Let's, for example, if I'm doing an earlier set and opening for somebody, let's say at 10 o'clock, that's a completely different atmosphere. And you could potentially turn people away from that venue because you're playing the wrong kind of music for that time you might be going too heavy too quick and it's so easy to do that and to kill the vibe for everybody else and I'll tell you now the DJ after you is going to be absolutely bloody fuming if you go and empty the place so yeah you've got to to be really careful but at the same time you've also got like you say put in the effort and say right okay that guy is going to do this or that girl's going to play that you don't want to play that track for because they're going to get annoyed with you then playing their tracks. You've got to be careful. <laughs> what influences your style of music? Um, so um, I have like a math, like uh, uh, I love everything basically. Uh, there's very few things like there's really really heavy metal that I don't like, uh, but everything else I absolutely love when it comes to music. Um, I love techno because that comes from a like looking like 80s electro with the synthiness and then I got then I got onto like the heavy side and I love a good bass a good beat and stuff like that and then sort of like found a Berlin beauty and that was like the slippery slope into techno <laughs> so yeah it yeah I, I absolutely love techno I I find it quite a cathartic genre as well um, in the respect like the beats are like, really heavy and it just I don't know it just makes me feel so chilled when I'm actually listening to it that sounds mad yeah yeah, yeah. More, more into this sort of loopy deep hypnotic stuff that you yeah know, you, you can just um you can disappear into for a little while um yeah, so, yeah so I'm with you on that um 
which gigs have you enjoyed the most over the last year or two pre-COVID uh, because, because that ruined it? Um, so I, I, I have two favourites. I have um, the uh, one I did in December before Underground Collective, which was um, at uh, Stage and Radio because I hadn't played there before previously, and that was such an amazing gig. Um, yeah, was, that was incredible. I absolutely loved loved that one. Cool. Um, yeah, it's uh, Dolly, wasn't it? So it was, yeah, no, Dolly was excellent. Yeah, it was absolutely yeah. pounding that place. Yeah, it was cool. Um, that was so good. Um, and um, Nexus, I did a Nexus one in February, which is like, Nexus is like a Chester little rave cave, yeah. as I call it. It's a really tiny setup because uh, Chester's not, as you know, he's not really a techno place. I have mind, like, really, like, small wine bars, <laughs> isn't it? So, yeah, so it's a really random place anyway. And then it's this teeny little room and you can only fit about 100 people in max. And it's such a good vibe and it's so good. And uh, yeah, last time I played that, I had an absolute rave. It was so good. Mm. So uh, yeah, and because of that, okay, I actually ended up uh, being asked to be one of their residents as well for them. So yeah, so no, it was such a good night though. I did. It was one of those, you know what I mean, you come off yeah. and it takes you about six hours to calm down because you've had such a good time and you don't want to come off. <laughs> so yeah, it was one of those. So yeah, it was really good. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Final couple of questions. What's the production journey looking like? And is it something you're going to get involved in? Yeah, I am absolutely, I'm so ready to do it. I can't tell you because obviously COVID has stopped a lot of stuff. And like, you know, it's very unfortunate, but you know, what's happened and it's um, the situation that we're in, you know, we have to, you know, let it pass. But I was meant to be doing uh, like a production course with um, one of the Manchester music schools, uh, just as a bit of a, booster because um I have been organically learning I'd say but nothing really sort of like to push me forward so that was one of my 2020 goals but obviously that's had to be paused so I will be doing that that is going to happen but yeah 2021 is the year of production for Aura so watch this space because I'll be coming nagging (laughs) so uh that's great and we'd love to hear you on the label um thanks very much no worries so that was Tom chatting to Aura Sounds, and and that's it. That's that's the end of my script. You know, it's done. That's good. <laughs> so there's nothing left to do apart from say thanks to Torian, man. It's been great to share your your company for the last couple of hours. Yes. Um, you know, it's, it's it's been like say we said it before we started recording, but this is two years in the making, man. We it's really weird. It's like being on a first date. <laughs> for me it's like it's like having an internet relationship with someone and then you you're like oh i'm finally talking to them it's really weird but yeah um thanks to simon next time we speak on the podcast you ain't gonna be four or no anyway are you <laughs> you ain't gonna be four or no but yeah, yeah. man top of the league goodbye christmas i think <laughs> jesus, jesus christ man <laughs> Get yourself checked in somewhere, but that's it. That's our first. That's our first. Uh, our first. Um, our first new magazine podcast. Thanks for listening. Catch you in a bit. Cheers, guys. Bye. Ciao. Underground Collective exclusive podcast.